Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to another episode of Not Your Average Conversations. Not Your Average Perspectives. Not Your Average Black Girls. Hey, Not Your Average Black, Not Your Average Black Girls, Not Your Average Black. (laughs) (laughs) All right, y'all, we are back. It's me, Dice, and then I have Jordan J. Nasty and Megan Meg Money joining me per usual today. And we have a really exciting topic for y'all, but before we get into it, of course, we have to do our Not Your Average Black Girls shout out. So I will let Jordan take that away. All right, guys. So this episode's Not Your Average Black Girl shout out goes to none other than Senator Kamala Harris. So if you all don't know, Ms. Harris is an Oakland, California native, a graduate of Howard University, and an alumni of the University of California, Hastings College of Law. She is currently a United States Senator for the state of California and is the current Democratic vice presidential nominee for the 2020 election. She has been accredited with advancing such policies as the DREAM Act and progressive tax and health care reform, not to mention that she is the second African-American woman and the first South Asian-American to serve in the United States Senate. She's pretty much an all-around badass, y'all. And if you needed any more proof of her certified status in the Not Your Average Black Girl Hall of Fame, might I refer you to any clip from the October 7th vice president debate between Senator Harris and hashtag fly on pence. Although there were many notable takeaways from this debate, the most significant for me was Senator Harris's embodiment of the importance of the Black woman's voice. Although her facial expressions alone could have out-argued fly on pence, the most important moment was when she calmly stated, Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking, after after he continued to talk over her. I apologize. This was truly a highlight of the debate that resonated with many women around the uh, nation, and I, for one, admired the symbolism of that moment. Black women, you are heard, and you have the right to be heard. 
So this Natural Average Black Girl shout out goes to Senator Kamala Harris. We thank you for all that you've done and everything that you will continue to do. And this episode goes to you. Oh, we, we got a whole episode dedication. I know, right? <laughs> well, y'all know. Black girl shout out. The natural average black girl shout out. You know what I'm saying? I just um I just wanted to say that these debates have been the most ratchet debates I think we have ever seen. Um <laughs> I don't know what's going on with America these days, but we have just gotten real loose in our in our morals and in how we conduct ourselves on a what? platform. Ghetto because, I is mean, the word. You might as well have been watching a random YouTube video at, at this point. It doesn't even look like a, a professional presidential debate. Um, Not at anyways. all. It was a mess. <laughs> that was a little mini tangent, y'all. <laughs> so let's get into our topic. Our topic for today is the PWI experience. So for those of you who don't know, a PWI is a predominantly white institution. And to get very technical, it's basically a white institution that has more than 50% of white people that attend their school. So that could be like your university, college, um, even like, I would even take it as far to say elementary, middle or high school, because I know some of us, <laughs> including myself, have gone to predominantly white institutions pretty much all our life. Um, so nevertheless, but for the... T- focus on this topic, we are going to be primarily talking about higher education. So that's colleges and universities. So I just want to start by asking because all three of us have gone to the same college or university and it was a PWI. And so I want to start by asking, let's start with Megan. Uh, Megan, why did you choose to go to a PWI? They ain't put me on the spot and no, I'm just playing. Um, <laughs> so for me, when I thought about like what college I wanted to go to, um, I knew that I wanted to go to a women's college, um, pretty much from the start of my, I'll say junior year in high school. Um, I wish that it was some long drawn out story, but to be honest, I only applied to three schools. Um, one of them was my backup school and, um, I got into the two that I was, you know, the most concerned with, um, the school that, you know, we all ended up at actually was my second choice. And the reason I ended up going with them, truth be told, um, was because they gave me like the most scholarship money, you know, the most, the most bang for my buck. I had this assistant Mm -hmm. principal in high school who always said, you know, if y'all don't listen to anything I tell you, as far as college advice, you know, don't be one of those people that gets into, um, hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt for your undergraduate degree. And, uh, you know, my number one choice, I was really tempted to go, but I would be lying if I sat here and, um, you know, didn't address the fact that child would have been in some serious debt if I would have went there. So it just came down to, um, what would be more beneficial for me financially. Um, and you know, I I liked what the school was talking about. and went to visit and that's how I got there. That's how y'all got me. I had no idea um, after all these years that you actually wanted to go to a women's college. <laughs> yes, I did. And my reasoning was because I just felt like it was very empowering. Um, and as y'all know, in the workplace, like women get the worst rap. Like people, we as women will say, oh, I'd rather work for a man than work for a woman. I hear it all the time. And I just felt like if I can get through this, like if I can come out on the upside of having gone to a women's college for four years, I can do anything professionally. That was my mindset. Um, 
and you know, I, I don't, I just wanted the best experience for me. And I thought it was empowering. I was like, yeah, I want to do that. I want to go to a women's college. I am truly fascinated by that. Um, cause I had no idea and I definitely felt the complete opposite. All right. So Jordan, <laughs> um, <laughs> Jordan, what about you? Why did you choose to go to a PWI? So, um, not quite like Megan, but a little bit like Megan's story. At the end of the day, they gave me the most money. <laughs> um, I went on an athletic and an academic scholarship. So that was pretty much the the thought, you know, was go where you get the most dough. Um, and then also, too, where I grew up, my mom was in like higher education and she was in higher education on the campus of an HBCU. And so she had basically worked out there like since I was four. And I spent a lot of evenings and a lot of summer days with my mom on campus. And so I felt like I was raised on the campus of HBCU and, um, you know, around HBCU folk, you know. So I was a little over it. By the time it was time to go to college, I was like, yeah, this is I don't know if this is what I, um, you know, want to deal with for four years because I kind of dealt with it all my life and I just wanted a change of scenery. So that's why I was very um, impartial to a PWI. Like I didn't really care one way or the other, but I will say once I got to the PWI, not casting, you know, any shame on the HP, I mean, on the PWI that we went to, because I definitely appreciate it for what it was and for the experiences that it gave me. And I know that I would not have gotten those experiences anywhere else. It did make me long for the things that I had once taken for granted with the HBCU experience. So um, I'm glad I went and, you know, I'm glad for what it, what it showed me and what it taught me. All right. Okay. So I'm just going to say the only common thread in all of our stories, including mine, which I'm about to tell is that I only went to this school because they gave me the most money. (laughs) Um, So same here. I only went because they gave me the most money. I never, ever, ever in a million gazillion billion years thought I would go to a women's college ever had no interest, no desire. I definitely thought I was going to go to like some big school and, you know, just be all out there, probably be somebody's hoe. Um, I just really, really thought I was going to be out like that, y'all. thought I was going to be partying like crazy. I was very wrong about what my college life was like. Um, so basically, I chose a PWI. <laughs> <laughs> she said, <laughs> I'm sorry. She said I thought I was going to be out here. Go ahead, Dice. Yeah, I thought I was going to be living my best life, okay? Because, you know, I just saw all these college experiences on TV. And I was like, well, that's going to be me one day. Um, but no, y'all did not happen like that at all. The school we ended up at, it low key like sucked me in because I had visited similar to Megan. I'd only applied to maybe like three or four schools and I had visited like maybe, um, my top two and the school I thought I was going to go to did not wow me at all. Like I felt like they had a reputation of being like a good school. So I felt like they were like, oh, we don't have to do anything to like get people in the door. Like they're just going to show up. Um, Whereas I feel like the college that we ended up at, they really went out of their way. Like they were trying to make you feel welcome. They, you could tell, like they took their recruiting seriously. Like they were like, we want you to go to our school. Like, you know, so on top of getting more money from them, it was just like, they had a, they had a sense of community that I didn't get from any other school that I visited. Um, And that's when I was like, okay, this might actually be for me. Like I might actually be going to a women's college of all places. Um, But nevertheless, that's pretty much it. Um, I didn't, 
I'm going to be honest, and I know we're going to get real deep into all of this. I did not consider really any HBCUs because, number one, majority of HBCUs did not offer my major. I'm sorry, they just didn't. Um, I majored in fashion design and fashion merchandising. And I think at the time there was only like, for let me just say this, for places I could actually go to, <laughs> there was only like <laughs> one or two and they only offered like um, merchandising. Yeah. So I was like, okay, this isn't going to work for me. And then number two, I don't know about you guys, um, Megan and Jordan, but I had always heard like somewhat negative things growing up about HBCUs with the exception of like Howard. Right. So it was like, other than that, like people around me kind of spoke negatively about them and were like, you probably shouldn't go to an HBCU. So that's a little side note, but nevertheless, that's my whole story. Now, I think it's the opposite for me and Jordan. I know we both um, grew up around HBCUs, like, you know, mm-hmm. Savannah, Savannah State, like, shoot, man, I'd be homecoming, I'd be right there. I feel like I'm alone with the rest <laughs> of them. Just, but, yeah. I mean, that's what I grew up with. So, like, you know, homecoming week, like, high school, middle school, I'm doing homecoming week stuff, too. I mean, the parade, I'm at the parade in high school, I'm in the parade. Like, that's, and I think I can relate to what Jordan was saying about where, like, that was what I knew, you know, mm-hmm. I, I knew, I felt like, you know, obviously it's different when you're a student, but I think when I was choosing colleges, it just was like, well, I know the HBCU culture. That's all I've grown up with. I want to experience um, something different. And Dice, um, you made a good point about major at the time I had intentions of going into college, um, choosing to be like pre-law or studying some sort of conflict resolution or something like that. And, um, the school I was looking at for my first choice didn't have that option. So I was like, well, can't go there ultimately. And they're not mm-hmm. giving enough money. So, yeah, that's another thing. And also, I don't know, I guess maybe just to tie the whole like concept of whatever school you choose. One thing I learned, and I feel like you're going to learn this no matter what school you go to is that college is what you make it. Um, And so I feel like with where our school was located, it was kind of like perfect distance from like Atlanta to where you could be out if you wanted to like take that initiative to be out. But it wasn't to the point to where it was like all consuming, you know, like to the point where you could really get caught up in some stuff and miss class and get lost in the sauce. Although some people did, but like, I don't know, I just felt like it was a good balance, you know, between that traditional like you know, the wild party lifestyle that most college kids envision when they go off to college and then still getting something reserved and maintained and controlled if you still need that structure in order to, you know, be the most successful on an academia level when it comes to college. And so I feel like our school could give you that balance if you were someone who saw the opportunity for that and took advantage of that. And I kind of feel like with us being Greek, we had the perfect avenue to experience both. Um, and I like not to make this like a Greek, you know, podcasty show because that's not what it is. But we all crossed at different points in our college career. So I was a freshman. Meg was a sophomore and then Dice was a senior. <laughs> so obviously Dice didn't get to take advantage of it, you know, as long and as much as I did, per se. But nonetheless, to be able to have like that Greek outlet Um, while we were at a PWI, I always tell people it kind of helped me get a little bit of the HBCU experience, even though I went to a PWI because we was always around black folks, you know, like we were always with other BGLOs doing what BGLOs do. So, um, it was, it was cool. And it was, 
it was really interesting to have that that duality and that dynamic of the Black Greek letter organization experience, you know, Thursday through Sunday, and then come back and kick it at the PWI in a controlled atmosphere Monday through Thursday. So. Yeah, um, that is interesting. You know, obviously I can't speak to that as much because I, <laughs> by no by no fault of my own, um, was not able to cross until my senior year. So I, I didn't, my experience at a PWI is probably going to vary a little bit from theirs um, mm-hmm. in terms of I really didn't have that sort of outlet um, as far as really getting to mingle with fellow Black people on that level. Um <laughs> I think I most more so had to just do it the old fashioned way where you just try to make friends and like, you know, make sure that you have like a good clique of people around you that understand what's going on with you or whatever. Um, So to dig deeper into the topics, I would like to know, you know, what are some of the positives to going to a PWI? Like, do y'all feel like there are any? Definitely. Um, And I guess I'll just jump out in the deep end and y'all pull me back if I start to drown. But um, I'm going to just say the first one. As somebody who did, you know, like (laughs) go on to an HBCU after um, my PWI, the first one is we got them direct deposits on time. And I mean, just timely. Okay. We got those refund checks. They were direct deposits. Let me just say, y'all, the refund check business is a hustle. Okay, but it's a very important hustle. And as students, we need them on time and we would prefer direct deposits. And so that was just a little known luxury that I had taken for granted as a casualty at my PWI until I went to my HBCU. And I was like, oh, like, this is what we're doing. Um, On top of the fact that just everything you needed to do could be done online (laughs) at a a PWI. Um, And I'm not speaking for all HBCUs. I'm just speaking, you know, from my experience, but the processes um, and the procedures are just a little bit, a little bit more well-known. I I hate to even do it like that, but I feel like um, DICE, whenever people say, oh, don't go to an HBCU, or if they have anything negative to say about an HBCU, it's never from the aspect of the community. It's never from the aspect of the level of, you know, like education that you'll get. It's more so from like the aspect of like business and yeah. the processes and the procedures. Yeah. That's what so, I was going to say is it's, I've never heard someone say the reason they left like an HBCU or chose not to go or whatever, they were frustrated with their experience. I've never heard anyone say it was about the culture, the education. Like you said, it is always about, you know, waiting in line and financial aid or, you know, oh, I did take this class. My credits are messed up. It was always, like you said, Jordan, one of, you know, just, just the process of things. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's, I mean, I don't feel like that's bad to say that. I do feel like we've, I think we talked about this on our very first episode. I feel like as black people we have to be comfortable telling one another where we fall short in comparison to other people and i think it's important for us to speak out and say hey yeah that probably is one of the reasons some people don't want to go to hbcus they don't want to deal with you know i guess the untimeliness that a lot of people have dealt with so Mm -hmm. i'm right there with you Um, i've heard that a lot one of the, speaking of the, you know, drawbacks and what I have been told since I'm the only one who was really, you know, um, pushed to not go to an HBCU. And I think it could vary depending on where you're from and where you live and what the reputation are of those local HBCUs as well. You know, um, I wouldn't say that the local HBCUs in my hometown were that like 
popular or had a positive reputation. Um, I feel like a lot of the schools in my area, they at one point were like, you know, the shit basically. Like at one point it was like, yeah, yeah. Like my, my mom was young or, you know, a few generations after her. But once it came time for me, those schools had really lost a lot of their positive attributes. And I know some of that is not by their own doing. Sometimes you just don't get the funding as an HBCU in order to keep that sort of thing going. But I know one of the biggest things people used to say about why I shouldn't go is that a lot of those schools, and I'm only speaking for those schools in the area at the time, a lot of those schools were known for accepting you um, if you had like poor grades from high school or poor test scores. And to me, that goes both ways, right? Because there are some advantages to schools accepting people who have lower grades and lower test scores because I'm not a believer that because you did poorly in high school that you're going to do poorly in college. I don't think the two correlate. However, I think people were like, you know, you don't want to be associated with those types of people. Quote unquote. I know it sounds bad. I'm just telling y'all what I was told. But, you know, they were just like, you want to be better than that. You don't want to be associated with, you know, oh, I just got into the school because it was the only school that would take me because of my grades or whatever. Um, but nevertheless, that's just my extra two cents on what I was told growing up. Well, Dice to, you know, just to, I don't want to say combat that, but in response to that. And like I said, as someone whose mom um, taught on the campus of HBCU, she's the graduate of, um, or HBCU graduate. And so is my brother. Um, HBCU history is just something that she's always been pretty fond of, you know, black history is something she's been pretty fond of. If y'all didn't already pick up on that from the previous episode, but nonetheless, the one thing she always instilled in me is HBCUs were created to give access and opportunity to African-Americans. And so that could be one of the byproducts of why the the scores, you know, the high school grades and the testing scores were so low when it comes to a lot of the students that they allow in, because as people of color, it's been said that we don't test well, you know, we don't really do good on standardized testing, which is true. It's backed up by statistics. And I also would accredit some of our performance, performance ability to the white folks that create the exams. But like I said, we'll say that for another an, another podcast. But nonetheless, that's why you see that happening for a lot of the HBCUs is because we are trying to provide, to provide those opportunities for people from our community to put the work and the experience back into our community. Um, it's kind of like uh, that quote from, I believe it's like W.E.B. Du Bois. I think when he says like only 10% of people have the um, opportunity to go and get educated. And so it's on that 10 percent of the black community that gets educated to put their knowledge back into it that that's the whole point we're supposed to lift each other up and so that's why hbcus had that um i guess that connotation is because yes like statistically we don't test well statistically we don't perform that great in school but that doesn't mean that you should be denied opportunity from these white state institutions here is a whole hbcu created just for you to come into an academic arena excel get exposure to things that you may not have had exposure to while you were in high school like a counselor who understands what it's like for you at home and a counselor who understands how to help you and communicate with you and therefore can put the work back into you so you could put the work into your school schoolwork and, you know, go out, go to New York, become that big time broker or accountant for that big old accountant firm and, you know, lift your whole family up out of generational poverty and have chances that you would have never had. So um, I think that's just, you know, one of the ways where the same set of facts can be told differently to different groups or to different children, because my mom was telling it to me like that, whereas people just see, oh, well, they're allowing people with low test scores in. 
and you just take that and kind of run with it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think those are all very valid points. Um, I also want to add that a lot of times the the scores are bad for black people because of the lack of access to proper education, you know, which is something I didn't even realize until I became a full-blown adult out here that there are so many kids who don't have access to good schools and have to fight to get into good schools to the point where some people, you know, have to lie about their address and all sorts of things just so they can get into the better schools. So it's not shocking, you know, at least not completely shocking that, yeah, some black kids or other minorities are, are doing poorly on these tests and in school because of the lack of education. Um, but as you said, that's another a whole other branch of this topic. Um, anyways, uh, Megan, did you have anything else that you wanted to add to all this stuff that Jordan and I just said? <laughs> well, I mean, I think Jordan said a good piece. Um and, you know, a lot of what she was saying was very true. I will say, Dice, in reference to what you were always told, there are a lot of HBCUs who um, operate under, like, a certain system to where they do give additional opportunities to people who might score below a certain point or whatever. Um, but I think that just speaks to what Jordan was talking about, about, you know, the reason they were designed to begin with about offering opportunity. Um And I was just going to say, like, I feel like I would be so negligent to not mention this, but y'all know, like, my job or for our listeners, you know, I said in our first episode, I'm a school psychologist. I can 100% tell you, like, as someone in the education field who has to, like, work with children who have learning disabilities or intellectual disabilities or whatever, these tests are 100% majority of them not designed with us in mind. Um, you know, black children statistically have verbal skills that don't even match up to white children. Um, in a lot of these tests, unfortunately, you know, they're very verbally loaded, um, or require a lot of verbal comprehension skills that black people statistically don't have because of what you were saying, lack of exposure to education, lack of resources. Um, and so it, you know, a lot of the times it might appear that, they don't know as much or a lower IQ or whatever, but really it's that, no, well, this test is verbally loaded with a language that has not been taught to them. And when I say a language, you know, I mean like politically correct, you know, the King's English, however you reference speaking, you know, correctly, that is what a lot of these tests are loaded with. Um, And so all of that plays a part, all of that plays a part into how we're perceived. Um, But I did want to kind of like, get back to what you asked us originally about um, some of the positives. Um, I definitely think that like, I was always kind of impressed, especially for it to be a smaller college. I was impressed with like the many different um, majors and minors and concentrations and everything that our school offered. Um, Just from doing my research over the years, you know, a lot of schools um, have a very like, you know, tight, tight ship on what they offer. It's not um, very broad. You know, you have to have something specific or either very generic that you're interested in. And I was always really impressed with that. I felt like that was a pro. I felt like it um, encouraged you to like figure out who you were, you know, get as as specific or as not specific as you need to. But I I loved that the opportunity um, was there. And I mean, hey, we all mentioned money at the end of the day. One of the perks is that we were at the PWI and we were all minorities. That got us more money. You know, at HBCU, I don't think they're they're really getting minority scholarships <laughs> like that. Cause 
they all minority, you know what I'm saying? So, um, I mean, I think that's a pro as, as well. Um, and as far as specifically, like, as far as specifically positive things about our university, I can save that for later in the conversation. Um, but, you know, I, I think that it just, I will say this, I think exposure, especially today in time, is very important. And I will say that I think as a Black person, if you grew up only around Black people, all you know is the Black experience, um, and you go into the real world, whatever your profession or entrepreneurship goals are, it's going to be very hard because you are the minority to only ever walk your road in life and only work with Black people. And so I do think mm-hmm. that going to a PWI also, you know, helps to um, broaden your horizons, you know, get yourself yeah. more cultured with some other people's lack of culture, learn mm-hmm. how to deal with, you know, discrimination, underestimation, yeah. all of those things so that you can be prepared when you get out in the real world. And I, I think that that's another, another positive. I think it can teach yeah. you how to be prepared. That's the beauty of being uncomfortable, you know, really with anything, but also, you know, in context of what we're talking about, you know, when you are a minority, when you are maybe the only black person in a classroom or whatever, you know, it does put you in a totally different environment, a totally different position. And here in America, it prepares you for the world. You know what I'm saying? Where, you know, as minorities, we are used to being the only minority in a space. It's, it's not that uncommon for us in America. And so it's like being at a, a PWI does kind of help you navigate those waters a little bit better. So you're not out there like, wait, why am I around these white folks? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like you kind of learn how to, sadly, but you learn how to play a part. You know, you learn how to kind of blend in, which can be a negative or a positive, but that's just one of the things you learn. Um, I do want to say, you know, as, as I think we've covered pretty well, a major positive for the PWIs and something I hope changes in the future for HBCUs if they continue to be around is that they have a variety of majors and minors, you know, for you. Yeah. Whereas I feel like that's definitely a major drawback to an HBCU if they don't have, like, for example, like some of the more creative majors, like what I wanted to do, you know, which was fashion. So it's like, it would be nice, but they just don't have it. Um, Jordan, is there anything else positive wise you'd like to add? Um, no, I think you all covered it. All right. (laughs) All right, y'all. So let's get into the negatives, which we kind of touched on um, some of them already. Um, so I know for me, definitely feeling the need to blend in what is a two, two sided coin. Sometimes it was positive. Sometimes it was a negative. Um, but nevertheless, you know, I just, I feel like as a minority and especially as a black person, too often we have to put on these faces all the time. We got to change up the way we talk. We got to change up the way we behave, you know, in front of white people, just going to keep it frank. Um, because we are too, for lack of a better word, afraid to be ourselves. Um, we're afraid that if we do act like how we would act around our black friends or black colleagues that we might, you know, be looked at differently, or it might prevent us from getting certain opportunities and stuff like that. You know, and it also, in a way, pits us against each other where you have some Black people who are, you know, Black, loud, proud. They don't care who they're around. But then some of us are looking at them like, girl, you being ghetto. Like, you need to stop. You know what I'm saying? And so we can't, trying to find that balance, I think, is really difficult for us as a race because we don't want to 
you know, pigeonhole ourselves at the same time. We don't want to not be true to who we are. So I think right now in 2020, we're really trying to have those conversations about why, why do we feel the need to blend in with, you know, the white people (laughs) and, you know, change who we are and not be ourselves. So anyways, that's one of my negatives. You ladies are welcome to the floor. Well, I'll just say, um, and this is not per se speaking personally, but I just remember like my, I was about to say 1L, but my freshman year of undergrad, um, I had a, one of my best friends from high school. She went to a larger PWI in the state where we're from. I'm from Alabama for the listeners who don't already know. And I just remember her talking about like whenever they would see other black people on campus, it would be like, hey, you like where you at? Where you going? Where where you from? And then they'd be like, oh, like, let's meet up at the BSA or like, let's meet up at the African-American student, you know, union or whatever they had for them. Um, and so I do kind of feel like that's one of the negatives of definitely a larger PWI. Like I said, we didn't really have to deal with that because our school was just a mile wide. So at some point you were going to see everybody. Um, but that need to be together, you know, like that need to see other black people and to convene and congregate with other black people it's a bit it, it's just a little bit harder to satisfy I kind of feel like with a PWI and especially a larger size PWI because you are the minority and imagine being a minority in a school that has like 15,000 student population which I kind of feel like that's a large number but you know what I'm saying like an 11,000 student population like mm-hmm. that's that's um I, I just I can only imagine what that must like be a like thick. <laughs> yeah, you are a spec. And so it didn't really mm-hmm. dawn on me until she said it. And she said, we'd be like, like, who is that? Where are they going? Like, you know, if it wasn't like a football player or, you know, like a, a black person on one of the bigger known, like, um, uh, athletic teams at the university. So I can only imagine what that must be like. So I do feel like that's one of the negatives is not really being able to congregate or come across as many people that look like you as often as you may like, or honestly not realizing that you haven't seen somebody that looks like you until you see somebody that looks like you. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Megan. Yeah. I just was sitting here thinking like about, you know, negatives, um, y'all definitely, I think, immediately went for, like, the really good ones. Um, <laughs> I think that, so, I have to be honest, I've never felt, like, unsafe, but we also all went to college kind of before things got crazy. Um, and that sounds weird just saying that because we're not even old, but I do feel like the world was different when we went to college or at least when we started out I do um I will say that I think like coming across people for me I feel like I came from a very cultured like very balanced childhood and I will say something that was um I guess maybe a culture shock for me was the fact that college in itself you know being around different types of people was a culture shock for some of the people that we went to college with like I met several girls who, you know, being at our college was kind of their first experience of, you know, having a Hispanic friend, having a black friend, um, because they lived in these small towns where there were no black people. And so that was like, what for me, because hello, growing up in a city where they have some of everything, um, I was just like, what, what you mean you never been around 
black people? Like, how is that possible? And so I would say that that's maybe one of the negatives um, for people who are uncomfortable by that fact, you know, navigating your way around people who have never been around anyone like you before. That sometimes requires some teaching. Um, that sometimes requires some correcting because there's, you know, an ignorance factor there. They don't know what's offensive um, mm-hmm. because they've never had to consider you before. They've never had to think about you. And um, I think that can be a negative for, you know, for some people it's a positive. For some people it's like, oh, that's my opportunity to correct the world, you know, teach people. But I think if it, you know, makes you uncomfortable, if you're someone who's easily offended, it can definitely be um, a negative because who wants to feel like they're always in teacher mode? Um, That's honestly one of the main ones that kind of stuck out to me. Like the negative is like, you don't know Mm -hmm. on any given day, you're going to have to teach somebody pretty much like about black culture. Um, let me yeah. let me tell y'all something, <laughs> and I'm jumping the gun because I'm we ain't story time yet. But this this flows nicely, so I don't want to l- leave it for later and forget it. Excuse me. Um, so I don't know if y'all two know, y'all might know about the incident I had at our college with a security officer. So I'm just gonna tell this story real quick because it's a perfect example of you know people being ignorant, not understanding black people, whatever, right? So long story short, I used to go into the classroom late sometimes. Like we had access to certain buildings late at night. And I'm talking like you had until like maybe midnight to be in certain buildings or whatever doing work. And so my senior year, you know, I was a fashion design major. So I had to do my senior collection and um, I was really busy, y'all. I was I was taking I don't even know. I had a crazy amount of credit hours. Um, and I was a double major and then I had to have my clothing line ready, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. So I was also working a part-time job. So I would get off work at like nine o'clock and then go straight to the classroom so I could finish, you know, working on my collection. So the security at that time was awful. They were lazy. I'm just going to be point blank about it. They were lazy. You would call them, ask them to come let you into a building. They would give you a hard time about it, give you a bunch of grief because they didn't want to get up and do it. And so that happened that night. I called security officer basically was like, oh, you know, he's kind of hemming and hawing or whatever and trying to tell me that, you know, I don't have access to the building at this time of night. And I was like, I do have access. There was an email sent by so-and-so who was like, she was like the secretary to the the dean of the department or something like that. So she had sent out an email basically saying students are allowed to be in this building until such and such time. And so he finally comes out. He does something out of the ordinary, which was ask me for my student ID, which they normally don't do because they don't care. Um, He asked me for my student ID already starting off wrong. And he um, wrote my name down again, starting off wrong. They never did that. And so um, I had said to him, I was like, I said something like, you know, I apologize if I came across rude or whatever. I said, that wasn't my intention. I said, I was really just trying to get, you know, my work done because I have a lot going on. He was like, okay. So I was in there. Mind you, when I walked in that room, another student was currently in that room working on her um, collection as well. So, you know, we were about to finish up. So he comes back at exactly midnight. Again, unusual y'all, because normally they don't even come back and check at that time. He comes back and was like, oh yeah, um, I just want you guys to know it's time for y'all to leave and da 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 So I was like, whatever. So I just feel like he was just being, you know, basically a dick that day. So 
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Y'all, within 24 hours, I had received an email um, summoning me to, uh, I don't know any other way to put it, but it was called Honor Court. I don't know what other schools may call it. But it's basically whenever you, whenever somebody feels like you violated one of the school's rules or whatever crap, they send you to honor court, right? So I was like, what the hell is this about, right? So come to find out, this same security guard, I guess, was in his feelings because I made him get up and do his job. So he called himself reporting me or whatever. And so I get called into this office. Mind you, I did not end up actually going to honor court, but I did go into like one of the offices for the people who were in charge, let's put it that way. And, you know, she was asking me all these questions. She was like, well, you know, he said that you, you cursed him out. <laughs> y'all, first of all, if I curse somebody out, I'm gonna remember cursing somebody out. So there's no reason for me to lie. I, if y'all can't tell, I'm very straightforward. So I would own up to anything that I said. And so I flat out said to the lady, I was like, that's a lie. I never cursed him out. I said, he may not have liked my tone, which I did apologize for. I said, but I never cursed him out. So. What's even funnier is the actual dean of my department was on the email because they CC everybody. They're just a big snitch, y'all. They CC everybody. And so the dean was on there could see what happened. And ironically, this is one of the few incidents where I feel like a white person comes to help you out. She was like, this would have been avoided if he would have just let her in the building. <laughs> and I was like, exactly. So I still end up going to, I guess, like a truncated version of Honor Court, not the official one. It was just like me, him. Um one of the higher ups or whatever, and, a, and the manager of security at the time. Y'all, I'm in there pissed off because I didn't know, I, I was basically ambushed. I did not know that I was going to be in a room with this man. So I was pissed off about that. Sitting there in this room, and this man, he got the nerve to be looking at me, smiling, talking about some high. So I said, hi, real dry, just like that. And so they tried, they basically asked me to go over what happened. So I told them, so they were like, well, if you don't feel like you did anything wrong, why did you, why did you apologize? I said, I told y'all I apologized because I knew that I had a tone to my voice because I was irritated because I had so much work to do, which I told him that night. I said, I never cursed this man out or whatever. And so the manager going to say to me, mind you, as an older white lady, you don't have to yell about it. 
I said, ma'am, I'm not yelling. This is how I talk. So again, going back to what we were saying about the ignorance, right? So basically in the end, we were going in circles because he was so, so adamant to hold on to this lie about me cursing him out. I said to him straight up, I said, look, if you feel like I cursed you out, I apologize because I don't remember doing it. I said, but you know, I would think I'd remember that. But if, if, if you're offended and you feel like I cursed you out, I apologize for cursing you out if that's how you feel. And I left it at that and I left the room. <laughs> I was just like, I'm not fixing to do this with y'all. Like, you know what I'm saying? So anyways, that was my little story, y'all. But that, that's just a, a great example of ignorance and how they automatically assume as a black person, you're up to no good. They automatically assume as a black woman, you're angry or you're yelling because you're getting your point across and they feel some sort of way. You know, they don't like to be called out on shit that they're doing wrong. So it's easier for them to say, oh no, you're just angry. Oh, you just got attitude or you're just being ghetto. No, what y'all did was wrong. Do your job. And I, as a student, shouldn't have to tell you how to do your job. Anyways, that's my two cents, y'all. I'm not done. <laughs> well, I got two things to say. One... You know me and Megan was on honor court, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I do know. Was was we were in ch- I mean my senior year, like I was in charge and Jordan's Same senior here. Year, she was in charge. Same here. We were both the chair justices. <laughs> it so. never got that far. It never got that far. So that's really funny. But um well, I guess I kinda have three things to say because I do want to make another point. Um about just the PWI experience. And I will say this is more narrowly tailored to our PWI. And I've said this to Megan, I've said this to Dice, especially like right after Dice told me that story for the first time. One thing I will always say about our PWI is that I felt like they were a bit overly involved in like legit worldly situations. So I understand when there is a, you know, like there's a duty, I guess, as like the faculty, the staff, if you live on campus, it's campus security to provide protection to the students in the buildings and all that good stuff. I get that. But I also feel like as the people who like cultivate our experience and that experience being undergrad and that's where you come and grow and learn about yourself there is a a certain level of hands off that I feel needs to happen in order for someone to truly like grow up and mature and learn about themselves and there was just a little bit too much hand holding in my opinion and Mm -hmm. in this situation I feel like this was a situation that campus honor court um, higher ups. Yeah. To the point to where like he was saying like, you know, you disrespected him. Yeah. They should have been involved, but they should not have been involved to that extent. Like there's just no reason your story should have included all those levels of faculty engagement, because at the end of the day, he had a job. You as a student had a right to be in the building that he felt like he had the duty to protect. It was a situation that happened between you and him. And it really should have been resolved between you and him. And as the Dean said in your story, it would have been resolved had he just done his job. And that was allow you a student into that building, a place that you have the right to be in, to do work that you have the right to do. Um, And I just kind of like, there was just too much handholding and too much back and forth about your conduct and not enough about what he was paid to do and what he was contracted Mm -hmm. to do as an employee of that school. And so um, I, I I do speaking, you know, as a former student um, or as an alumni and a former member of, you know, well, I won't even go that far, but just speaking from my personal experiences, I do remember plenty of instances where there was just over-involvement in the actual conduct of the students on that campus. And I 
feel like it was to the point of like nitpicky. And if you control so much about a person at this age, when are they allowed to control themselves? When are they allowed to learn on their own and make those mistakes for themselves and truly learn from it? And I feel like those were the moments that we were a bit deprived of that a student would have gotten at a regular, not a regular, but like a larger school, PWR, HBCU. You get the chance to make those mistakes, have those, you know, if you want to say fun, but have those wild nights, have those moments and not worry about faculty or professor or, you know, staff engage or honor court mm-hmm. engagement um, as a repercussion of. Mm-hmm. And then the last statement I want to make in reference to why ignorance, because I wrote it down in my little note section. I just got a quick little story too. I mean, I know we're going to slide into story time, but um, I think I, well, I mean, y'all know um, I was on the on an athletic team at the at the school that we went to and I will never forget y'all there were only like (laughs) there were only four black girls on a team of about we'll say like 20 to 25 um it was I'm not gonna tell y'all what team I was on but anyway y'all can go look on Facebook and figure it out but there were only like four black girls and one of them she like was from those parts so she was more like them than like us. The three of us were not from there. So we did not, you know, um, we did not cave to the culture around there. You know, we were very much uh, black girls. And so I'll never forget this one practice. I just happened to go to practice with makeup on this day. I can't remember what I had been doing on campus or in school for me to have on makeup when I went to practice. But nonetheless, I had on makeup. And one of the white girls, one of our teammates that I was pretty cool with, um, she was sitting next to me and she, I guess she was just kind of looking at me. And then she makes the statement. She goes, oh my gosh, your lashes are so long. Could have just left it at that, y'all. But this girl proceeds to say they're not all short and nappy like most black girls. Y'all clutch my pearls. Eyebrows went to my hairline because I've just never even heard all those words put together in a sentence about mm-hmm. eyelashes. Especially in reference to lashes. Yes, I have just never even heard that type of offending statement ever just you know said like that and then it was, and then it was like in the form of a compliment I, I was just real very confused by the moment <laughs> but like taking a bag like mouth just you know wide open and I was looking at her like what did you just say and she was like yeah like your eyelashes are so long they're not all short and nappy and I was like literally do not ever say that again I was like lashes cannot be nappy I don't even understand what you were talking about but I literally was just like do not ever say that again and I mean, y'all, we're like 18, 19, 20. Like, what what the heck? So when Megan was talking about these girls coming from small towns to where they never engaged with Black people before, and I remember you made a statement about sometimes, like, they don't understand maybe what's offensive because they've never offended anyone. Don't care, don't care. They know the term nappy is offensive. That girl knew exactly what she was doing. And I don't know if she just thought that I was going, you know, be kicking and like, oh girl, well, thank you for giving me my compliment. But no, you know, I was like, <laughs> this is not what's happening. And I was, I was taken aback. I was really taken aback. And I was like, literally, how ignorant do you sound? Like you just sound like straight ignorance. Um, and for me to be from Alabama, I have never had a white person say that to me. So I was like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah, no, that's insane. Would have been some tussling at practice, is all I can say. <laughs> insane and y'all it's funny because all three of us are from the south i never stated where i'm from but i'm from south carolina and i think it's really funny um when you go to other southern states 
and they swear that your state is probably more racist than their state. And it's nine times out of 10, the opposite way around. Like, I'm like a lot of those states that y'all swear are like so inclusive and, you know, so open and accepting of minorities. A lot of them are not like, I'm just like, I come from this, I come from the dirty South. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, I have never experienced some of the things in the dirty South that I experienced going to other parts of the South that would not even be remotely considered dirty. They barely Southern and I've had really bad experiences. So I just don't need y'all to get a little more cultured in that because Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's not the way y'all think it is. But anyways, Megan, did you have any? Any stories you'd like to add about the ignorance? See, I secretly <laughs> was hoping that you would like be caught up in the conversation and not <laughs> ask me that. And let me tell you why. Because, you know, we had the episode about what were we talking about, like toxicity and stuff. Y'all was on me talking about I ain't experienced nothing toxic and blah, 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 blah. So all your experiences were great. That's what you finna tell us. And I'm just, I've been, you know, I've been thinking about this for a very long time. <laughs> she had like a whole 15 minutes to come up with a story. No, before this, honestly, like yesterday, I was, I was sitting here thinking, I was like, okay, what can I talk about? And, and let me just say this. I think that like, for what it's worth, I understand 100%, like y'all know this, cause y'all know me. I understand 100% that there are so many of us who had things happen, you know, at our college that um, probably shouldn't have happened or that could have gone different. I understand that everyone did not have their um, best experience, but, you know, for whatever reason, I mean, I don't know, we all have a different path, but for whatever reason, um, my path was just a little bit different. I honestly don't have like, unless I just can't remember, which means it wasn't that significant if I can't remember it. Um, Because as Jordan can tell you, I don't be forgetting. But I honestly just cannot come up with any, like, story, any memory of where I felt like, um, you know, I was wronged or, like, any examples of, like, you know, white ignorance. Um, I I, I just can't. I mean, you you have some of your typical things. Like, you know, when Obama was running. um, I can't remember who was running against him, McCain or not McCain, but who was running against him the second time. I don't know. Uh, unimportant. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, you had people like with the bumper stickers and stuff or, you know, with the T-shirts and like um, you were there at that time, Dice. And so I know that you can speak to like how there was like a little bit of tension or whatever, mm-hmm. but um, no one ever like blatantly said anything. You know, nothing ever happened to me. no one ever said anything like they felt away they never said it in my presence um no one said anything offensive you know can't believe that black man won like none of that ever happened in my presence so I basically saying that them bitches wasn't brave enough (laughs) to come and you know what I think that it's just about like obviously people decide to disrespect and try who they want to try, like, it don't be having nothing to do with you. But I will Mm -hmm. say that, like, Jordan spoke to this earlier about how the experience is what you make it. And I think that we can all agree that we probably all at least know or knew one Black person at our university who spent their whole time there, spent their four years there, graduated, but was a negative nan to a T about the experience the entire way through. And 
you know, there are pros and cons to every university. Do Are there things that I think could have been better? Absolutely. But I think that for me, it was a matter of like, I'm here. Um, I'm not interested in doing a bunch of university hopping and taking seven years to graduate. I'm mm-hmm. going to make this experience the best thing that I can make it. Um, and I think that I did that very early on, you know, freshman year, gotten SGA, like gotten this, gotten that, um, became an RA my second year. And so I- I'm saying this to say, like, it's not like I think like, oh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm so big and bad. Nobody would never try. <laughs> but I do think, um, I'm just going to keep it real. You know, I was in a lot of stuff and we all know that at our university, um, the better relationship that you had with some of the higher ups, like, you know, admin people or whatever, um, across the board, kind of the more respected that you were. Um, I was on a lot of executive boards. I was in a lot of organizations, you know, spring 13, we crossed. Um, and I think for me, just, just calling it like it is, I do feel like if, in fact, there ever was a time that anybody wanted to try me or wanted to get disrespectful, I think they knew that the odds would, like, not be in their favor. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I think that they knew that it's just like, yeah, I'm not going to win this one. Just because, I mean, the disadvantage of a small college is things can tend to get a little bit cliquish, you know what I mean? And when people would fall out or when big things would happen, everyone would learn about it. And so I'm saying that to say that I think that like, if anyone ever really wanted to push it, like, and really try something serious, one, you know, everything gets out. So, you know, it's going to get out. I think that the reality was, it's just like, okay, well, I probably won't come up winning on this one. Like I probably won't come out Mm -hmm. being, I don't know, the hero of this story. You know, people will probably be against me. Um, but I'm just going to say this and like, I hope it doesn't come off the wrong way. Cause I don't know what kind of people listen to us. I don't know how many white people listen to us. Um, but I will say that I think that, and I think y'all both operate, you know, just, I, I think y'all both just have like this aura about you as well. But, um, I just think people move different around you when they respect you and when they can pick up on the fact that you don't take any mess. And I do mm-hmm. think that I, made it my business to carry that about me while we were in college. Like, yeah, we're cool. We can be friends. I like you. You know, let's go to the Mexican place. I almost called the restaurant by name, child. We trying not to identify the university, y'all. <laughs> but, um, you know, we could go out to eat. We can go on a trip. We can do whatever you want to do. Um, but keep it cute with me like at the end of the day um but you know yeah I was hoping you didn't ask me because I was like dang they gonna roast me when I say I have no stories but I I don't I don't it's Megan's perfect life you guys whatever what it is just another excerpt from her perfect life experiences no Uh (laughs) but you know what I will tell you this though when I went to grad school I um I prayed like I prayed for a very positive experience I prayed for um an experience with no hurdles or nothing to deter me because oh I'm just keep real y'all I didn't want to go to school like I don't think people be realizing like who actually wants to go to school if I could have like made me some millions without going I would have did it but I didn't want to go to school I was like nah like god please don't give me any obstacles please don't give me any hurdles please make this just a smooth journey for me because 
if it ends up being too hard, I don't know that I'll have like the determination to finish. Like that's just how I was feeling at the time when I went to grad school. And um, I think things happen for a reason. I mean, maybe God knew something I didn't know. Maybe he knew that if I got into a deep, deep, you know, I know a lot of people ended up leaving sometimes because of like honor court things. Maybe he knew if I got into something real deep with honor court, I would be like, bump this. I don't need this school. I'm out of here. You know what I'm saying? And might've transferred to the wrong place. I don't know. But, um, you know, I say all that to say, I'm, I'm sorry for the listeners. I, I cannot share any yeah. negative. Um, yeah, Megan, we got it. Okay. Y'all. So lastly, to wrap up this topic, um, just real quick, uh, what do y'all think the impact has been on minorities for going to the HBCUs? I mean, I, I'm sorry for going to PWIs. Lord Jesus. What do y'all think the impact has been on minorities for going to PWIs? Like, do y'all think overall it has been good, bad, just, you know, real brief? Um, I think Megan kind of said it, or we all said it earlier. Obviously, there's like an access to um more majors. Um, I do think that there is a certain access or aspect of access to more experience and opportunities, um, funding, obviously. And you do stand the chance of interacting with a lot more people that you normally would not, you know, um, get a chance to interact with in your local community or on the campus of HBCU, you know, all kinds of um, transfer students, international students, people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, mm-hmm. all walks of life, um, and people who are pursuing all kinds of avenues in life. So you do stand the chance of being in a larger, you know, thought incubator and, um, you know, just being exposed to a lot more. So I think that's one of the the positives uh, or the impacts. Well, that said, um, just to kind of segue properly, do you feel like all the things that we've mentioned, because like you said, we kind of covered the impact pretty good. Do you feel like it has helped us or hurt us to be a minority at a PWI? Um, I feel like today, those things have not hurt us, but the culture outside of the PWI that now transfers or seeps into the PWI experience is what's hurting us. Um, it, and I mean, it, that, that just goes without being, you know, beat into the ground. We all know what's going on in America right now. Um, and so I think that's the part that's hurt us. But then I'll, I'll also say too, there are some people who go to the HBC, I mean, who go to, I'm so sorry, y'all go to the PWI and dare I say, kind of get that Daniel Cameron effect going, right? Like you become that, that token in like their fraternity or that token in their sorority or in whatever organization it is. And kind of like how the white girl did me in my story where they make a comment that's disparaging of the whole, but it's positive towards you. So then you start to feel different and you don't call them out on their BS as much you know and then you start to adapt that what we might call an uncle sam but what i'm calling that daniel cameron mentality you know and you forget um you know the community that you're supposed to be putting your knowledge back into and the community that you're supposed to be putting your energy back into so i feel like that's one of the negative impacts that has hurt us when it comes to the pwi um because I mean, a a lot of the systems in the world are ran by white people. And so you feel like if you have one good white friend or two good white people that you'll be successful in life or this is this is who you need to be around in order to be successful. Um, And I feel like the PWI does foster that mentality, depending on which one you go to, because I don't think ours foster that like Megan hinted at it. But so, yeah. 
Yeah. All right, Megan. So how do you feel? Do you feel like it has helped or hurt the black community to go to a PWI? I'm going to just keep it simple with y'all. I feel like you got to know the game to win it. At the end of the day, all kind of people in the world, I think it helps us. Um, There's no one that I can't work with. And I feel like I know how to essentially, what's the popular word, y'all? Manifest. No, manifest isn't the word I'm looking for. I feel like essentially you go in there, you make it what you make it, you're going to come out better. Um, you know, you just got to know how to navigate the world with all kinds of people. And I think that it is helpful, you know, to be in that environment with maybe some people who don't look like you for four years. Um, so you can kind of learn how to maneuver the rest of your life. That's just my my feelings on it. I definitely feel like it helped me. Yep. Well, ladies... The last piece of this topic is simply, is there still a need for HBCUs? I think Jordan has a couple valid points that she can bring out, being that she did go to an HBCU after the PWI for um, undergrad. So Jordan, is there anything that you want to say real quick about the need for HBCUs? I guess I'll keep it quick. But of course, there's still a need for HBCUs. There will forever be a need for HBCUs. And um, shoot, affirmative action. If we go on that far too, there will always be a need to place a priority on the Black experience in America. Um, a few of the things that I did, you know, mention or did want to say is that sense of community and togetherness. I feel like even Megan can attest to this as someone who was just around a local HBCU or if you're the offspring of HBCU grad, you know what I'm talking about when I say that school spirit, being a part of the lineage, being a part of that community, and just the way the entire community rallies around that HBCU, that local HBCU school. Um, I, I, I don't care. There could be, and I will name drop schools for this purpose. There could be all the Auburns, all the Alabamas in the world, but you know, it's nothing like going to your HBCU you know, for Turkey Day Classic. And for those who know what I'm talking about, y'all know what I'm talking about. They don't do it no more, but y'all know. Um, and Bayou Classic, you know what I'm talking about. So, I mean, even, you know, like the little, well, I won't get into a Magic City Classic, but for my Alabama people, you know. <laughs> so it, it's just nothing like that. You know, all the iron bows in the world. Anyway, so, um, and then also too, one thing I do just want to just mention on the light side is the fashion, I know this might pique Dice's interest, but I had a couple friends who did go to HBCUs the same time I was in undergrad, and I just love the way that they explained the fashion that people had going to class every day. And as someone who did go to a, um, a HBCU for a higher, for law school, I went to HBCU for law school, but our building was on the campus of the undergrad. We did get to see the undergraduate students, and they had this thing called Pretty Wednesdays, not naming schools, but I'm sure y'all know who I'm talking about. And baby, everybody used to dress up for Pretty Wednesdays. You didn't know if it was the club, president was coming, black tie. You, you didn't know what was going on. You just know everybody was suited and booted. Um, and so the fashion and the inspiration that you get at an HBCU, I think that's also just impeccable, unparalleled, and you just don't know it till you know it. And I'm pretty sure y'all have seen, you know, as far as our listeners go, people talk about the memes of the fashion at HBCU homecomings. Like, y'all, the fashion never dies when a bunch mm-hmm. of black people congregate and get together and say we finna show out like we finna we finna step on them when we step on them um you know but at the end of the day hbcus do you know do have their their own issues um and i feel like people like the faculty and the staff that's one thing i will say from my personal experience um they may not always be quite as helpful (laughs) 
they may not always be quite as helpful. So even though I love HBCUs, I love my HBCU experience. Wouldn't trade it for Nathan, Nathaniel in this world. Um, I do feel like HBCUs do still have some progression. We obviously still have some advancements to make, but obviously I'm an advocate for HBCUs if you have not noticed at some point as a Black person in your educational career, if you can, um, I highly, highly, highly advise that you go to HBCU because the connections that you make in the community that you get, it's just nothing like it. And um, I can never do it justice. What about you, Dave? (laughs) No, um, I don't have anything really to say. I feel like Jordan um, wrapped it up pretty quick and it's time for us to get to the news segment. Uh, Megan, if you had anything you wanted to add really quickly, you can do that. But I was just going to say side note, because this happens a lot. I will say um, I'm also team HBCUs. I would never want to see any more of them close or anything like that. And they love my black people. Um, I just wanted to throw in a little tidbit, you know, I think that as people, we also have to do better. Like, there's a lot of shame about, like, you know, oh, if you, a Black person, chose a PWI, though, you don't have the same sense of, like, Black pride or whatever. I just was going to throw that tidbit in there about, like, that's another thing that I think, you know, just all in all, go to the school for you um, and uplift each other no matter what someone, you know, you know, chooses to do. Um, Because I don't know if y'all have heard that a lot, but I hear that a lot. Like, there are a lot of people who feel like... um, Oh, y'all ain't really for us. Y'all went to a PWI, you know, and that's not what that means that, you know, some people have to go to the place that's best for them. Um, But just because I didn't go to HBCU doesn't mean I don't love the HBCUs. And I know there are a lot of people who feel that way. We have a couple of, um, we have one line sister in particularly, I know me and her could talk about that like all day long because she gets so frustrated when she hears people say that. Um, But yeah, I just was going to throw that in, you know, y'all try to uplift your fellow black people um, who may not be able to go to an HBCU. They still for the culture. Yeah, no, I don't think, you know, personally, I don't think that has an impact on it. Um, I think at the end of the day, like you said, you go to the best school for you. Um, I think, you know, as black people, we just have to learn to not divide ourselves by every little thing. You know, we already got enough of the division as it is. I don't think we need to add in what school you did or did not go to as another um, factor to divide ourselves. Um, so nevertheless, hopefully HBCU stick around. I don't know the likelihood, but, um, I think overall we had like a really good discussion for you guys on that. And I would love to see you guys tell us your thoughts. You know, you can always DM us on Instagram at NYABG pod and let us know what you thought about it or comment on a post. Do something. Y'all shake up our Instagram. Yes, Jesus. Let's have discussion. <laughs> let's have some interaction. You know, y'all low key kind of dry and I don't really like it. Ooh. Um, but anyway, <laughs> Still love y'all though. Uh, so let's get to the not your average news. And I, uh, okay. <laughs> um, okay. So not your average news. Naya Rivera's sister, Nikayla, was spotted with Naya's ex-husband, also baby daddy, um, holding hands. And the rumor is that they are living together. And she never really came out and addressed if it was anything like... I don't know how to put it, y'all. She did make a post, but she didn't really say like, yeah, we're together. Yeah, we're not. She basically was saying something like, oh, you know, we just, everybody needs to be comforted at this time and family and da, 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 da. Like basically trying to make it sound like she was like, I'm just trying to be here for my, for my nephew or whatever. I don't care. Nobody says it sounds suspect to me. Didn't he make a video about it? I didn't watch it, but I saw it in, um, 
shade room posted it or something like that. Oh no, I didn't. I didn't see that one. That's news to me. So there might be a new update out there, y'all. I'm not sure, but either way, I just think it's inappropriate. Um, maybe there's something I don't know or I don't understand, but I'll be doggone if, if uh, hopefully not. But if I were to pass away and my sister's up here holding hands with my man, I, I'm sorry, but no, um, ain't nothing wrong with y'all comforting each other, but there, there's other forms of comfort that are more appropriate. Um, but you know, to each his own, I guess, uh, the next piece of news is <laughs> master P AKA Percy Miller has broken into the food industry and has come up with a children's cereal called Uncle P's Hootie Hoos. So if you guys want to support Master P and this cereal, you can go to Uncle P Cereal on IG or visit UnclePCereal.com. Hootie Hoos. First of all, he got different flavors. I know some are like fruitier flavors. I think another one is kind of like a cinnamon type flavor. I don't remember the names right now, but you know, I just want to say that Master P he really, really tries to like rep for his culture, rep he for his better have I love it. I love it. Yes, that man makes sure he got some kind of business out here. So I think I believe the cereals are in like Save a Lot or Aldi or both. So just as a as a reference in case y'all want to go try it. I low-key do want to go try it. Um He better have seven streams of income. Come on. <laughs> that man ain't playing with y'all. I'm here for uh, it. The next piece of news is Jeffree Star's boyfriend, Andre Marhold, which we have covered this story in a previous episode. Um, he allegedly stole from Jeffree Star and is not returning Jeffree's phone calls. And I did watch a little bit um, about this from Jeffree Star's perspective. And he basically was just saying, like, you know, these things are replaceable. Because I guess when you're rich, you know, it don't matter. Um, he was like, but he would still like to get his stuff back, but they're replaceable. And um, he just wants the man to pick up a phone. But he does suspect that Marhold was holding money and using him for money or whatever. But nevertheless, that's that. <laughs> okay. Um, so moving right along uh, into more pressing matters. California has passed a law to consider reparations for slavery. So this is a huge deal because this is the first of its kind. Um, Governor Newsom has signed two bills that will target structural racism and bias in California's legal system by prohibiting the use of race, ethnicity, and national origin to see, I'm sorry, I'm reading this y'all, to see or obtain convictions or impose sentences and to reduce discriminatory practices in the jury selection process. So I wanted to read that verbatim because I wanted y'all to know exactly what it was covering. Um, Also, it is unclear what the reparations will be, but there will be a task force assigned to discuss it. So, you know, obviously this law is the first of its kind. So I, I do expect there to be some, you know, hurdles with it. And, you know, maybe Jordan can have a better insight into how some of this stuff works. But nevertheless, when I think it's good. That. That's what the people want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because when I hear reparations, I'm thinking 40 acres and a meal and a check or two. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, but when I read this, this is just sounding like our constitutional right to due process. I mean, fair due process. That's what it sounds like to me. And he's just trying to um, ensure that it's actually effective fairly and, you know, as unbiased as it, it should be already. So he's just trying to take out some of that systemic, I was going to say systematic, but systemic racism that's been, you know, put in place. He's just trying to reduce that. But I say California don't stop till y'all get some affirmative action around there. Okay. Affirmative action it's is what we house. want. We want affirmative action, okay? Don't have to the Kardashians and don't stop until you <laughs> don't do stop 
till you in Calabasas, okay? <laughs> yeah, hopefully it does lead to something substantial. I know that I would be surprised if they got money only because I have found a lot of people who are on the other side of the coin um, are not fans of giving money or quote unquote welfare because you know they swear that black people are the leeches on the system which is definitely not true well our president paid what seven hundred and fifty dollars in federal income taxes but we're leeching on the the okay okay also what's so funny about this is um let mike pence tell it and um there's no such thing as implicit bias child was rolling when i was watching (laughs) the debate i said this man is so delusional i cannot See, I'm glad I held my comment to myself because you're right. I don't know who all is listening. Um, But all I can say is when you've benefited from privilege for so long that you now have the chance to be willfully blind to it, that is what I'm getting from that statement. But then also, too, why would you want to change a system that's benefiting you? That's also what that statement was giving me from what Mm -hmm. you just said. So, Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, we'll just see how that plays out. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, y'all. So last piece of news that, again, is just the gift that keeps on giving is uh, Tory Lanez. <laughs> Tory Lanez has been charged with felony assault in Megan Thee Stallion's shooting. So according to TMZ, the L.A. County's DA office charged him with one felony, felony count each of assault with a semi-automatic firearm personal use of a firearm and carrying a loaded unregistered firearm in a vehicle. All I'm going to say to this is that his daddy's name is Sunstar. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. His name is Daystar. His daddy name is Sunstar. I did not know that. It gave me very much. Yes. Oh yeah, his name for real. Tori's real name is Daystar Peterson. No, I knew that. I'm talking about the daddy. Sunstar. And it gave me very much Goku Gohan vibes for all my Dragon Ball Z fans out there. Um, and that's all I'm going to say to this. That's all I got. You know, as black people can get real creative with some names. That, that is one thing we know how to do. And maybe the name for them has some sort of significance. But um, to get back on track. <laughs> um, yes. So we'll see what happens with Tory Lanez and Megan Thee Stallion. As y'all know, this story never seems to end. We never seem to get to the bottom of it. But... He has been charged, so we'll see if it leads to anything. Uh, but y'all, that's that's about all the news I got. I don't know if Jordan or Megan heard anything they want to add, but that's all I got. Mm-hmm. Y'all know I've been kind of under under a rock for a few weeks or so. So, um, no. Well, Nothing. we are recording this on October 11th, y'all, and today is Dice's birthday. So, yes, when this episode comes out. Y'all wish her a happy belated birthday in the comments on our IG page. Or shout her out on happy your story. Happy birthday yeah. to you. Happy. Okay, let me stop. I don't know they got that. You know, protect. Oh yeah, copyright. copyright. <laughs> let me stop. We- it was three minutes y'all don't know what i was singing we don't have nobody's (laughs) (laughs) thanks you guys we appreciate y'all definitely continue to support us as y'all have been doing we love all of our listeners and until next time we'll see y'all bye for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. 
Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.